With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, March 16th, uh, 2010, 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I have a great show tonight. We're going to dive right in here because we've got a lot to talk about. I've got a great guy on the phone. You know, my guest tonight has created quite a splash in the short time he has been stirring up trouble in good old land UPA, but whether he's seducing young co-eds or producing the latest hit reality shows, by all appearances, he's having the time of his life. <laughs> playing bad boy Lothario Robert Ford on One Life to Live, and he's come by the bus tonight to tell us all about it. I'm already a big fan of this guy, and I can't wait to introduce you to the dashing, divine David Gregory. <laughs> well, thanks, Brandon. I, now I'm all intimidated because I've heard all of your celebrities <laughs> uh, in your intro there, so now I'm thinking, all right, well, here we are, the, the guy that seduces co-eds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're among friends here, I assure you. Oh, I appreciate that. I feel I feel at home <laughs> in the hive. Can I say that? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, let's set the table here. Give me the sixty-second bio on David Gregory. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? Um, David Gregory was born and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska. I uh, spent eighteen years of my life up there, and then went wow. to school at, at um, Baldwin Wallace College and Conservatory in uh, the Cleveland area. Uh, four years there, made the move to to New York City. I've been here almost two years. And um, so far, so good. Of course, like any actor moving to the city, there's been some rough spots, but I feel like sure. that's paying your, paying your dues. And uh, I enjoy it. I'm I'm kind of on cloud nine still, so can't believe of everything that's happened the last half a year or so. And uh can honestly say I love going to work. I love my job. You know, Alaska has been much talked about in the past couple of years because of a certain high-profile <laughs> political figure who's burst onto the scene and a certain uh, someone, yeah. Yeah, you know, I won't ask you about your political leanings. You're you're welcome to volunteer them if you like. But uh, tell me about growing up in Alaska. How is the state different from what we may perceive it to be? Well, you know, the first question I always get is, did I live in an igloo? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and to be honest, 
um, at first I was, I was like, Oh no, I mean, it's, it's a normal place. You know, you, it's like anywhere you grow up, you think it's, that's what's normal. And sure. you know, everywhere else you go to is very different. But I started playing into that after a while, especially in college. So it's like, well, do you live in an igloo? Like, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> all year round. And I have a penguin named Tux and, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And eventually, uh, eventually it just, it, it kind of got, not old, but it is it is one of the most beautiful places on the earth, and I can honestly say that because now I go back and now it's a place to visit, whereas before it was just home and it was, sure. you know. Um, but uh, the Northern Lights, there's no picture that I've ever seen that can actually capture what they actually look like, and it's something you have to see because they move across the sky, and they're all these different colors. Unfortunately, you have to um, sort of bear the cold in order to see them, and they usually uh, – peak during the real winter months so and we're talking like i've seen 60 60 degrees below zero it gets pretty chilly oh my god but you know moving out and and getting out of alaska has been uh <laughs> a real eye-opener um <laughs> uh but i can say you know new york and cleveland weather especially in the winter yeah. uh <laughs> no, no pretty crazy the, the recent blizzard that blasted the city a couple weeks ago you must have been right at home during that you know, that's what you'd think, but there's wind, and it's it's a, a different kind of snow. I don't know how to explain it. Okay. But uh, but um, I know up in Alaska, you know, once you get, I'd say, 20 below, everything after that, below that, feels the same, just because you're <laughs> freezing your ass off. And uh, <laughs> it's also because I haven't been up there in a while, um, just because I've been living in New York, and it's kind of a it's kind of a trek to head back up to Alaska. To say the least. From, to say the least. Um, fortunately, my mom uh, works for an airline, so while I was in college, I was able to fly back pretty frequently just for holidays and stuff. Um, but since I graduated, I sort of lost those benefits, so now I'm kind of kind of on my own as far as that goes. So is this is this really the land of the midnight sun? It truly is. There's actually a uh, semi-pro ball team up there called the uh, Alaska Gold Panthers. They play in my hometown of Fairbanks. And uh, every every year on the solstice, they do a, a midnight sun ball game. And I distinctly remember going with my dad uh, one year, and there's a foul ball that came right over our heads, and you could feel the breeze from that. And I'll never forget that. It was it was a first for me because I was very very young and was able to stay up that late. And I remember it being completely bright outside, as if it were you know one or two in the afternoon. When in actuality, it was one or two in the morning. Wow. And uh, it's gorgeous in the summer and, and warm, despite what people think. It's quite warm. Uh, we do jet skiing. We do, uh, you know, inner tubing behind the boats. And that's yeah, great fun because the days are longer. So you just naturally feel like you can you can stay up and enjoy all of that. You know, I have a good friend who took an Alaskan cruise some years ago. And I, I believe it was in June or July. So the weather was just ideal. And yeah. she told me that it was one of the most stunning experiences she's ever had visually emotionally, I mean, she said you, you just sure. can't prepare yourself for how gorgeous it is. Oh, yeah. And again, I, something I totally took for granted until I left. Which, I mean, it is the way it is with most places, but Alaska is very, uh, very special. You just have to, I mean, you really have to see it to believe it. I haven't been back in, again, almost two years, and I'm starting to I'm starting to miss it, not just because it's home, but because there's certain sites that you get used to seeing and exactly. stuff that just takes your breath away. It's pretty impressive. Especially in the in the concrete jungle that you live in now. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is its own spectacle, and I enjoy it. And I was very wide-eyed and bushy-tailed when I first came here. I think I was 15 my first trip to New York, and I was actually uh, wearing glasses at the time 
but would only put them on when I absolutely needed to see. Because like any teenager, I was very self-conscious. Uh-huh. And um, I remember New York was the first trip anywhere I had ever made where I wore them the entire time because I just could not get enough. It was incredible to see. And, that, you know, you kind of have to be able to see in a city like this. So <laughs> I finally bit the bullet and wore my glasses. I will never forget that. Almost 10 years ago. So I guess the most important question is, can you see Russia from your house? <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> um, somebody asked me, they said, oh, the same question. I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't. And they're like, well, she sounds so serious. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yes, she does, but um, no, you, no, you cannot see Russia from your house. Not so, at all. Uh, the uh, the decision to leave Alaska for for so called greener pastures was that a tough one for you to make or, or was it pretty easy to to say okay yeah I was, I was kind of a I was kind of a homebody and um, I'm very close to my family and they've been very supportive of this but eventually I knew that in order to do what I really wanted to do I had to get out I kind of I kind of didn't have a whole lot lot of direction just because I was so far removed from everything but I ended up going to um, a program in Interlock in Michigan for a summer for musical theater, and that's kind of when I got a taste of the outside world as far as this business goes, and lots of teachers from New York were working with me, and I, I kind of got an idea that, you know, this is really what I want to do. I need to make sure that I train outside as far as college goes, and things just kind of fell into place. You know, uh, I knew some, some families in Cleveland, and uh, that's one of the places I auditioned, and, and it turned out to be exactly what I was looking for, and we did a showcase. Uh, we did a showcase my senior year, out of that program in New York City, and that's how I got my agency uh, representation, and uh, it got started right away. So the big move for me was actually moving to Cleveland for school. Once I got that out of my system, moving to New York was a logical choice, and it was uh, an easier choice, I should say, just because I had already made that, that big step, and uh, here we are. You know, my guess is that uh, the big cities like Fairbanks and, and Anchorage and, and maybe even Juneau are, are fairly mm-hmm. metropolitan places. I mean, uh, my guess yeah. is that in, in the in the cities in Alaska, you probably wouldn't know that you're in Alaska. You know, barring the weather and and the mountains and sure. you know all the all the uh, the external stimuli, you would you would probably think you would be in in in, in any other city. That's a question I get a lot. Is you know. Is it is it that much different? And growing up, it didn't feel that. Of course, the populations are slightly smaller. But one of the neat things is, I mean, Anchorage is quite a metropolis. And within the you know the large buildings downtown, you have the background of these huge, gorgeous mountains in the back. And that's kind of what sets it apart. Yes, it's a big city. Yes, it's um, quite active and and very hip with the time, you can say. But it's also got all of that. I mean all of that wilderness that close and you can literally see it it's something to it's something to see but yeah it's it's pretty i don't want to use the word normal but i feel like for people that have never been there to associate you know towns like that with yeah i mean you aside from wilderness like that it's very much very much like a lot of other places Uh, i don't think i've ever seen blue in real life (laughs) and it's not exactly what people people would think but it's a great place so I, I assume that you had television and radio and movies just like the rest of us growing up. Who, who did you? Absolutely. Who did you kind of grow up watching or idolizing? <laughs> well, uh, I mentioned this briefly with you prior. Um, the reason I would say, if I had to pick one person, one reason why I got into this was um, my dad introduced me at a very young age to Jerry Lewis movies, and um, I was hooked. Mostly because he was just a clown and they filmed it and he got away with all these things that I just thought were so impressive and 
I ended up being sort of a class clown because of that. I feel like a lot of people sort of put him in a certain category just because he, you know, he was a, a movie funny man, but he also wrote, directed, and um, he, he had inventions that he that he put together that furthered how movies are filmed today. Absolutely. And he's just he's just a genius. He just truly is a genius. I've sat for hours studying all of his movies. I haven't seen all of his movies, but but I've made up for it by seeing um, <laughs> a number of showings of the same the same films. His Nutty Professor, his his seven man role in The Family Jewels, uh, his almost silent role in The Bellboy. He's just uh-huh. he's top notch, as I'm sure you I'm sure you agree. You know, such a sharp, talented man. And the other the other great thing is how he nobly kind of found a way to take his fame and put it to work changing the world in whatever way he could, you know. It's Absolutely. And he's been doing that for, I mean, for decades. I don't know if you saw the Oscars last year. I think he won the, or was a, was given the um, Humanitarian Award. Sure. For a man of his caliber, not just entertainment-wise, but what he's done in that field, the first thing that comes to my mind as far as somebody that would rival that is, is Paul Newman with what he's done in that department. It's really something to see because that takes a whole lot of effort I recently did a just showed up uh, for one of these benefits here in New York City for the Starlight Children's Foundation, and I could see what goes into something, especially when it comes to children. What uh, you know, what it goes into something to put something like that up to help. It's a whole job, and so when you've got people that simultaneously are pursuing their career as well as helping people that need it, you know, people like Jerry Lewis and Paul Newman have the voice and have the um, the spectrum and the platform to do something like that and don't do it for any kind of notoriety but do it sure. because it's really something that's close to their, their heart. I have a lot of respect for that and it just makes me um, more intrigued by, by the talent on screen. You know, I mean, that's why we read the tabloids, that's why we read certain magazines because it's like, well, what does this person do in their spare time? What are they like in real life? And it, it sort of either adds interest or it takes away depending on how much information you end up finding out. But um, I have a lot of respect for that man. Would love to meet him. He's um, getting on in his years, but he's also uh, working on a new project here in New York. He's getting ready to, to put up Nutty Professor as a as a Broadway musical. So oh, really? Now we'll be in the same city. Yeah, I think he's got a he's got a fellow from Las Vegas that he's uh, been working with, and they're they're trying to put it up on Broadway. I think they did a couple readings of it, and I, for one, can tell you I will have front row tickets for that. I cannot wait to see <laughs> what he does. You know, it, it's hard to imagine uh, there being a, a Jim Carrey or a Will Ferrell or, you know, half a dozen of these other guys without the trail that, that Jerry blazed. It's Of course. Especially, I remember the first time I saw Jim Carrey, I was like, whoa. I mean, <laughs> am I the only one that sees this? My, yeah. my hero self. <laughs> this is an original. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that he's not that he's carbon copying, but sure. uh, I did read something recently that, that uh, Jim Carrey looks at more of his idol as a Jimmy Stewart, who was another guy I watched growing up more on the dramatic side, but also had that um, sweet comic sensibility as well. And those between those two men, Jimmy Stewart and, and Jerry Lewis, that was what I would say would be my earliest influences, just their body of work and <laughs> very unlikely uh, role models for sort of the profession I'm in now. But um, nonetheless, there's a little bit of that behind behind the uh, the soap character, somewhere deep in there. He's, he's down in there. Way deep. Maybe one, one, yeah, way deep. Maybe one day we'll see that. 
So was was one life your big break? Is that is that the thing that you would call your kind of real entrance into the into the the world of entertainment, or was there something before that 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 kind of? I popped? would say I would say that's I mean that's been the biggest one for me. I was in a a national commercial that aired for about a month last year uh, for the Airborne product, the the um, sort of the cold remedy. Okay. Um, and I played a, a romance novel hero that rode around on a white horse, passing out airborne. Which was um, exactly what you might think. It was just kind of a gimmick to to sell it, and uh, and I got some good feedback from it. But for sure, the the one life gig has gotten me noticed much more than than I have previously. And again, I think I'm still at the stage where I'm just very grateful to be in the position I'm in. Sure. Because it it kind not that it hasn't hit me yet. I'm very aware of what's going on, but I just still see myself in that same category as you know this kid from from Alaska with glasses who you know just kind of wide-eyed about the whole uh-huh. city and still very exciting so how did this come into your life how did you how did you get this gig well i had uh i think the the winter i would say the winter from 2008 to, to early 2009 kind of come off of of a couple jobs and and was just um you know the economy had started to hit new york and uh-huh. the situation there and so it was a little rough i would think of seven months without work and i had just done this job where i had uh been on the streets of new york hired to ask people to sponsor children overseas, which is a great cause, but asking people in New York City for their credit card number on the street is not exactly something people jump after. So I would imagine yeah, it's not terribly safe. No. No. I mean, it was a legit cause, and, you know, I had a license to do it and, and worked for a company that, you know. But the, the problem was people just were not willing to do it, and honestly, I don't blame them. But I, I hung in there for a while and uh, ended up getting taken aside one day, and they said to me, well, most people that, that really don't have a knack for this job usually quit. We've never had anybody hang on this long, so we appreciate that, but we still have to fire you because you're not bringing in the numbers that we need. So while it was sort of a backhanded compliment, it was, uh, it was my first time being fired. And within, I think within about a month or so, obviously I went looking for other work and sort of had decided to, to say, you know what, if theater, or film, television, whatever, if it comes, then it comes, but I need to make sure I... I make some serious money to live in this city. So I kind of not given up, but it sort of put it aside and said, if that, you know, if that comes up, then, then fantastic. And within, uh, within a couple weeks, I booked two jobs in the same week. One was the one life to live role. It was a recurring role at the time. And I think they were looking at maybe eight or nine episodes. And, uh, then I booked a small role in the new James L. Brooks film, uh, which we filmed last summer. And I think that has a, December 17th release okay. of this year. Um, I think it's still entitled as of now, and I'm not sure how much my involvement will be in the final cut. I know uh, I know how that goes. Sure, I can always end up on the cutting room floor, but I really enjoyed doing it and got to meet some incredible actors that I've always admired. Paul Rudd, Reese Witherspoon, Owen Wilson, and that was great fun. So whether or not I end up in that is just icing on the cake. But um, I ended up auditioning for One Life to Live. I got called back to read for Frank, the producer, and uh, kind of left and thought nothing of it. I mean, there were me and six other guys who could easily have done it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got on the train to go home. By the time I got off the train, I already had a, a phone call, a voicemail saying that I would booked the job. And, oh, you can't imagine the relief, especially after not having work I bet. like that. That was just, what a relief. And You, uh, you know, I, I had your co-star, Brett Claywell, in here uh, several months ago, and, and he was telling me about about going on 250 consecutive auditions and getting turned down and you know still finding the the fortitude to plug away at it. I mean, do you 
Do you start to take it personally after a while when, when you just keep getting rejected? You know, it, it's easy to do, especially because the work is so personal. I mean, even a commercial audition, you go and you're like, well, th this is me. I'm presenting myself more than anything, and in in, especially in a commercial situation since, since it's so brief. And, you know, if they don't like you, it's not that they don't like you. It's that, you know, well, his sideburns are long today, and we're looking for someone that already has them short or s something so strange. So it can be a little disconcerting. And again, I mean, the cliche is, you know, pick up and plug along, you know, until you, until you get something. I ended up just going on a lot of open calls for some stage work just because I figured it was a numbers game. I thought, eventually I've got to land something here. <laughs> so I would line up like the rest of everybody else, uh, sort of like a cattle call for, you know, a theater in Connecticut that was doing a, a small production somewhere. And I thought, you know, eventually I've got to land something. And went to a bunch of those and, and finally... You know, again, it went, it's almost when it rains, it pours, because I finally booked something there and had to turn it down because of the One Life to Live job, which, again, very grateful to book something, but it's almost like before I had no decision, and then all of a sudden I had all these decisions to make. And <laughs> It's either fish <laughs> or famine. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's the way it is with with this. You just You just never know. And it doesn't mean I was doing anything differently necessarily. It's just the right thing that comes along. So, again, very lucky that... Once my stint reoccurring on the show was over, there was enough positive feedback to be asked to come back and sign a contract. And, um, again, just couldn't tell you how grateful I was because that couldn't have come at a better time, too. Had a great summer. Some close auditions had gotten very close to some other roles on some other shows. Then I got a phone call saying, you know, here's something to think about. Let's discuss it and and see if it's something we want to do. I was like, oh, yeah. Just some great people to work with, and that was another thing. I don't know why. Not that it surprised me, but... Um, I think my first day on set was with Tuck Watkins, who plays David Vickers. And he's just, he took the rap from me when I messed up the scene. And I'll never forget that because I remember looking at him like, you know that was my fault. But he was like, no, guys, it's my fault. i got to do it again. And when he did that, I realized that it was better for him to take the rap for something like that than, than me because I was the new guy. Absolutely. And that was kind of the defining moment of like, this is, I mean, this, this job is it. This is fantastic people. Um, who really know what they're doing, and, and everybody's looking out for each other, especially in a, such a speedy profession as, as a soap opera where things have to happen pretty quick. You betcha. Ready or not. <laughs> you mentioned Tuck, and, and I swear I don't mean this in a bad way, but you know, being in your first major television job and working almost exclusively with a seeming maniac like Tuck Watkins, who is such a great actor and you know, so funny and so talented, and you know, he delivers his lines as though he just thought of them that second. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it must have been truly something. What did you learn from, from that experience working with him? I, I remember one conversation we had specifically where I said, you know, your portrayal of this guy on the show is is known very, very well, almost like a satire of what a soap opera is, and yet people just absolutely love it. I said, how did you figure that out? He said, well, I kind of did what you did when I first got on the show. I was very, um, you know, trying to be suave and deep voice and the whole nine yards. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that the writing sort of lent itself to – David Vickers is a little not with it, and people kind of make fun of him behind his back. And he said, so I tried playing him a little slow, like he just didn't get things right away. And then I realized, no, 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 it's not that. It's that he's ahead of everybody, and they're the ones that are behind. And he said, once I started playing it that way, everything just clicked. So what I learned from him was keep working until you find a certain angle to play the role, and all of a sudden everything snaps into place. And, I mean, aside from just how to deliver a script and 
and how to uh, sometimes he'll sit down and if he doesn't like a line, he tries to say it a certain way and alter it a little bit so that it does come out like he would say it or his character would say it. And of course, he runs it by the director and the producer that day. And and I mean, they're just nuts over it anyway because it's coming out of his mouth. So sure. there was a lot of things I learned just not to be afraid of, especially from a stage background. Okay, what's on the page is exactly what I have to do, and you know, don't move, don't you know, <laughs> don't do it any other way. Um, but he just he working with him made me realize there's a lot more freedom, and and it sounds so trivial, but just to have fun with it. And eventually, I just started having the time of my life once I got over the the initial shock of okay, we're rolling, and yeah. <laughs> this is going to be on national television. <laughs> You know, uh, talk about the soap schedule. Is is it as tough and as grueling as we've been made to believe it is? It's it, it can be. Um, the most time in advance I've I've had a script is about a week, which is pretty good. You have a lot of time to sit with it and sort of digest it. Um, lately, it, uh, it has been a little scary because I've gotten a call, you know, the day before saying, "Oh, we're going to add scenes for tomorrow," and went and picked them up, and I'm looking at it going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And the last minute they go, oh, by the way, those have been canceled. We're going to do those on a different day. So I've had some close calls. Um, sometimes even if you do have a week to prepare, you you do have a lot of, of dialogue that they're trying to, you know, make you film three or four episodes in one day. And that can be a little a little scary, but, you know, you get there early in the morning and you run the lines with the other actors enough where it becomes – uh, second nature for the time mm-hmm. you shoot it and uh, when you go home I couldn't tell you we did some scenes yesterday I couldn't give you a word of what I filmed yesterday but I know we did <laughs> and I know in a, about a month and a half you'll see it <laughs> and uh, it's kind of the, it's kind of the nature of the beast it's very uh, it's very fast again coming from a stage background where where you have months to digest a role it's very different but I do enjoy going to work and getting a script for next week and, and going, oh, well, this is where this is right now. A lot of times I don't see, you know, see something coming, and I'm just as surprised as an audience member who is following a certain storyline and going, oh, you know, I didn't see that coming. And it can be very exciting for us actors also to find out where it's going. You know, you talk about filming three or four episodes on one day. Is that tough for you as an actor? Because, you know, when you're being trained as an actor, it's all about the arc of the story and where you fit in the arc. And, and here it's it seems like it's completely uh, the antithesis of that. Yeah, I actually had lunch with Sue Johnson. She's the vice president of, of Daytime over here. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, how often do we, is, is there a situation where we would find out where a certain story is going? And she said, obviously, you know, if we're going to kill you off or something like that, we'll let you know a couple months in advance so that you can plan your life. But she said, sometimes, sometimes, if not the majority of the time, we just kind of let it, the actors figure it out because, I mean, in real life, you wouldn't know, you know, I woke up this morning knowing I'm going to go here and, and run this errand, but I didn't know what was going to happen in the meantime. So there, there is a little bit of that, and I kind of like it. I mean, there's times where I'm, I'm going to play a scene a certain way and go, yeah, yeah, this is, this is kind of the way I want to go with it, and the next day I get a script for something else and go, oh, I, sh- I should have played yesterday differently based <laughs> upon what I'm reading now. And I think that's also just the nature of the beast, which can make it, I mean, it can make it fun. How do you, how do you justify what you did yesterday based on that? Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely keeps you on your toes. It makes you, you have to be very alert. And I'm not much of a morning person, so sometimes when we have rehearsal at 7.30 in the morning, it's a, it's a quick wake-up call to, to just jump right in, especially if it's a, 
a love scene or you're yelling at somebody or <laughs> I'm, I finally feel like I'm starting to find the groove. It's taken me a little <laughs> while, but the groove of, of it's got to be very spontaneous and uh, you just got to jump in. How different is it to actually be on television versus what you thought it might be like as you were, you know, learning your craft and, and dreaming of the big time? Well, you know, you watch your favorite shows and they look a certain way. And I remember walking on set the first time going, okay, so this is kind of what it looks like. It's very stagey in the sense that all the cameras are sort of the audience and you kind of play to the front. And uh, there's these little tricks that they do to make it look like there's no cutoff and the room doesn't just end all of a sudden, especially if you're on a hotel set or in somebody's bedroom. Um, it can be a little jarring at first because you're just you're suddenly aware that there are cameras and lights and many things that you have to set up. But um, it's we definitely shot some things where I have an idea in my mind how it's going to look, and I see the finished product and go, well, "That actually looks so much better based upon my experience of what how I remember shooting that. I remember being so aware of you know one thing or the other, or you know maybe it was it was a rough start of the day or something." And then, uh, I mean, these guys who are behind the cameras work such magic and really create the world that you see. And that's with anybody in this profession that, whether it's on a soap opera, a primetime show, a movie, it's pretty impressive to watch. And most of most of the, of the people that are camera operators for the for the show have been doing it for many many years, and uh, so they it's like second nature to them. And I'm always in awe of the technical aspect, especially in, in, in television. In a show, you, you know, you rehearse a couple months just with the actors, and then you go into tech rehearsals, and you have about a week of tech rehearsals where you, you bring the tech people up to speed. And what I've noticed about, you know, film and television is you do the tech rehearsal with the actors right away. And that's something that, that took me a while to get used to, where everybody gets up to speed at the same time, and it, it just makes me more aware that uh, my job is more of a piece of a bigger puzzle. And that while acting is, has its glamorous side, it's also very, very much a part of, of a bigger piece. And I didn't realize that as much uh, working in stage. And so I'm, I'm glad for that lesson because it's made me uh, appreciate what's done aside from myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. So when you when you do watch the show, when you do watch yourself, do you do you cringe? Are you happy with what you see? What's going through your mind? Uh, it goes day to day. My agents have asked me, especially early on, they said, we want to make sure that you're watching the show just so that you can learn from yourself. And, of course, everybody's their own worst critic, the sound of their voice, the, you know, the way they look. You know, everybody's got their best side or their worst side, which I always thought was... <laughs> kind of lame until I actually saw my best side and my worst side. But uh, it's, I guess it depends on, on the, the, the episode, to be honest. There have been something, some scenes that aired recently where it was kind of just uh, stand and deliver, you know, just <laughs> listen and talk, as opposed to, well, I'm here and I'm going to take off my shirt now, and <laughs> which adds, you know, it's necessary for the time, but um, I, I always get excited when there's some real... Uh, I want to say deeper scenes where we kind of get to dig into some character a little bit, just because I feel like uh, I feel like that's a chance to grow. And uh, seeing those scenes played out and the finished product are always kind of rewarding. And I actually can say that I've been able to see certain things and be able to adjust over time. And I finally feel like I'm starting to get the hang of it. I know in certain films you're you're able to watch sort of playback and see 
okay, I just shot this scene. Let's see what it looks like and see what we need to adjust. And with soaps, there's there's no real way to do that. You shoot it, it's in the can, and a month and a half later or so, you get to see <laughs> what it's like along with everybody else, <laughs> which also has its exciting moments. But um, I'll be honest, I'm I'm a critic just like anybody else, and I think it just depends on the episode and and on the scene. And I can tell you that I, I feel like I get better when I work with certain actors on the show because they will bring it out of you. And if they're being as real and honest as they can be, it makes you want to rise to that level. And I've always heard and read, you know, interviews of people saying that. But experiencing that was very different. Working with Brittany especially, because most of my scenes have been with her. She, okay. in her role of Langston, um, she just, she's, I, I don't ever get the feeling that she's acting. I know she's in character, but things sound real from her, and it makes me just jump right in. She's she's quite a pro. She knows her stuff, and she's very, very good. We'll, we'll be sitting, you know, reading scenes together before we actually shoot them, and sometimes I, you know, she'll ask me a question, but she'll ask it in a way where I think she's asking as Brittany, you know, just casually, and I'll forget that we're reading a scene, and it's, when you have moments like that, it's pretty, pretty neat. It, it's, uh, Pretty exciting. I did that with Robin Strasser once in the one scene we had last summer. And I thought, oh, she's done reading. And I started responding, you know, as myself and <laughs> realized we weren't done. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Tell me about your character, Robert Ford. You know, from what we've been made privy to here to four, he comes across as, as something of a heel. Um, yeah. Have, have you come into this with a backstory that you've created, or do you just kind of start with a blank slate and, and shade your performance with each new thing that you learned about him from the script? I initially, like what Tuck said, you know, you have to find a certain angle, angle to spin it. And I thought, you know, this guy is turning out to be kind of, like you said, kind of a heel. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's, there's got to be a way to, to justify. I mean, I know bad boys do well on soaps. It's kind of a thing that, that hey, it's an important element to have. But I wanted to make sure that there was a reason why he treated women the way he did. And in my mind, eventually I, I found that uh, maybe if he had once been in the situation where he was the one that got cheated on and he was the one that, that was a sort of a victim of wrongful uh, treatment in a relationship or something that maybe the next time around he just decided, hey, I don't care, I'm going to follow my gut and whatever I want I'm going to go after and I don't care you know, who gets in the way. That way it's sort of justified, maybe not well, but in his mind he's doing it because he's been wounded or bruised, which is more interesting and I think – we're shooting scenes now where we're starting to get into not necessarily specifics, but we're starting to get into maybe he's like this because he has good reason to be and people just happen to be in his way. So that kind of helped me justify because there's some things, you know, some days he's really nice to Marco, who's the oblivious boyfriend, and other days he treats him like dirt. I'm thinking, well, there's got to be a reason, but I feel like at some point he's been in Marco's shoes before, and that's why he kind of feels for him, but at the same time doesn't care if if Marco's a casualty of, of war <laughs> in that sense. He's just going to go after uh, what he wants. So is is the love of a good woman going to redeem him someday, or, or is he going to stay pretty heelish? I think it's within his power to accept that. But I, I honestly don't know. what. And I think he's certainly going to get more interesting as far as why he is the way he is. But again, this is kind of what, what I was fishing with, with Sue when I was talking to her about, you know, how often do we get to know where our story is going? And she was very careful, you know, with that. She said, well, uh, again, if, you, if you're if you going to die, we'll tell you. But other than that, 
So, and this is that's kind of frustrating. I know in certain acting classes, you know, you're taught to know all the circumstances, and know all the backstory about what this person likes, so you can really get into their shoes. And a lot of times, it, it's not that simple, especially in the the soap world. But uh, I'm starting to get used to it, and starting to enjoy the idea of, well, we'll throw in this color today, or well, he's just he's in a mode today where he's not going to pull any punches. I hope we see some some action go on as far as confrontation between the gentleman and this love triangle. That would make it quite interesting. Well, you know, it, it does seem to be building. And, you know, we just found out last week on air that Cole's new partner, Hannah, and Ford have some kind of past. They do. So that's, a, that's an interesting new wrinkle to, to throw into the equation. You know, I was talking to her when we first started shooting those scenes, and I said, it's very interesting, you know, because I've done some love scenes on the show that, that it's never <clears throat> shown what has happened between those two. And I thought that was odd, and I also thought, because sometimes we shoot out of order, maybe we'll get to that. But then seeing it play out on air makes me happier that they, they went with it that way because it's a surprise. Oh, Ford's been with her. Oh, I had no idea. It's because we didn't show it. And it sort of makes it just more twist of the knife in mm-hmm. that sense that, that all of a sudden, uh, well, it's not just length, and it's somebody else. And, okay, well, if he's been with, with two women now, I mean, who else could it be? And sure, yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's almost in, more interesting that it's just hinted at as opposed to being shown. I think it was a nice little change of pace. Well, you know, soaps thrive on, on a good mystery, so... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How are you guys enjoying the new studio? Oh, man, I love it. I mean, I didn't... Uh, I wasn't really married to the first one. Sure. Um, I know some people had spent years there, and I know... 40 years. I mean, Erica Slezak was there for, you know, good Lord, 38, 39 years. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, I think even Kristen Alderton, you know, she's basically grown up there. Absolutely. Uh, so I think in any situation like that, I think it would be difficult. But I think uh, everybody's adjusting pretty nicely. I know for some people it's different. I know that some of the cameras are different, um, but I've seen some things on the monitor. There's definitely a new look to the show, and I think in April when the first episodes start airing, you'll see a difference. Um, it just it looks different. In, in a positive way. I'm not really sure how else to describe it, but I enjoy it. And, you know, the, there's more space. People can kind of spread out, and uh, it's very exciting. It's, it's, we also share it with the views. So sometimes, uh, I think my first day there, I, I ran into uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck in the, in the hall. And she was just going to work, and so was I, but it was so surreal just to be like, wow, we're both working in the same place. <laughs> You know, One Life is, is, is pretty well known for staging these pretty big spectacles. I mean, they did a plane crash a couple of years ago, and they did the big, the big blizzard last month. And, and so yeah. and we all can't wait to see what they come up with now that they have actual room to do stuff in. Oh, I know. It's huge. It's really cool. And I, I, think, uh, I think now they know, they know, oh, there's so many more things we can do now that we have Absolutely. this space. So with Frank Valentini's imagination and his team of writers, it, it should be very interesting. Your family and friends back home, have they gotten a kick out of the fact that you're on national television parading around in your underwear or in a towel day after day? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think it's kind of a hoot for them, especially because, you know, those that, that really know me and have watched me grow up uh, running around and being that guy that does that, because I never have been. Like I said, I was, you know, 30 pounds lighter and had, you know, glasses and was kind of an awkward nerd in high school. With braces as well. So there's been there's been some things that I've had to take away uh, for a job like this. But it's also that he's such a snake. 
at least what we're seeing of him now, Absolutely. there's almost no <laughs> redeeming quality in him whatsoever. And I would like to think I have a few more redeeming qualities <laughs> than he's got. So I think it's more of the, I mean, he's just pulling no punches. And to, to see that played out, especially for those that really know me, it's, I think that's more the hoot than anything. And it's fun. It's fun to, to talk about, especially my, I have a niece and nephew. They're five and three. And when I started airing last summer, they were allowed to watch. And I called my older brother, who's their father, and I said, um, we're going to get into some episodes soon where I don't, think it's, I don't think it's appropriate anymore. And I don't think it ever will be again. So as long as you know that that's the direction we're headed. And uh, they just – I always get phone calls from my family after episodes of air, and they're laughing. They can't stop laughing. And they're like, it's so funny. And I, I know what they mean. Um, I don't think it's that funny, but I think it's it's more so because it's so different, and that makes it fun to play. Because I'm not uh, not I'm not a good guy. What kind of reaction did you get from them for the infamous stable scene where you you poured water all over yourself and that was I mean that caused quite a stir on the message board. So I can't even imagine what your family thought of this. I think well because that was like the first shirtless uh, uh, scene that I did, and filming it I didn't really. I had no idea that that's where it was going. I had no idea. Um, I just thought it was just, you know, part of the job. And, and again, Tuck was the one who admonished me. He said, they're going to find any reason to take, you know, he said I had a thing where I would get angry on the show and I'd have to go punch a punching bag. And, I, of course, I had to do it without my shirt on. And so I, I figured that they would be thinking of weird things to, to do. But I got the script, and it had a, a little blurb in there about how he dumps you know, a bucket of water over his head, and it was like we wanted to look like Hugh Jackman in Australia, and I absolutely hit the fan because I think he's he's one of my favorite actors today, and you know I think he's Wolverine, of course, so excited about anything that has to do with that. So when they actually gave me the opportunity to to sort of parody that, I was just unbelievably excited. I didn't actually see it when it aired. I was um, working on the on the film at the time. But uh, I started getting phone calls. They were just like, what is going on? It's so random. <laughs> and, uh, and from then on, uh, you know, as you know, it's, it sort of ballooned from that. But I still get people asking me about that. And um, I think it's probably better that I, I didn't know exactly what kind of effect it was going to have when I initially did it. But I'm, I'm really glad that uh, it kind of made the fuss that it made because that gave people the, sort of the incentive to to write in and, you know, give the character positive feedback at the time. So that's uh, part of the reason why I think I'm on the show right now. And Absolutely. So definitely grateful for that. You know, you have a body that's just criminal, and I don't think I'm breaking any news and telling you that. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to talk about this, it's cool. But I understand from no, reading up on you that, that you suffered from a, from a physical condition earlier in your youth, and I'm going to surmise that there's a pretty strong correlation between those two facts. Oh, yeah. Well, it's um, it actually wasn't – I wasn't that young. It was actually – during college, I started noticing that I had this growth on the left side of, of my chest. And I was like, of course, didn't want to say anything because it was just the weirdest sensation. And it started affecting my workouts. And I think about six months in, you know, it started getting larger and larger. And I finally talked to my parents about it and got a, uh, got a doctor to take a look at it. And it's a condition known as gynecomastia. And I guess it's just uh, an accelerated growth of breast tissue in men. And it can happen when there's a hormone flux. And for whatever reason, it affected me at age 21 in college. Wow. And I had no idea 
where it was coming from. I mean, we couldn't pinpoint it, and a lot of times you can't. But I know that, it, you know, if it affects, you know, males a lot younger, you know, when they're first going through puberty at, say, mm-hmm. 11 or 12, it can really uh, mess with them and, you know, and psychologically. That's, that's a rough age anyway, no matter, no matter what you Oh, know. I know. And, you know, I mean, you don't need, no one needs to be teased in the extra that age. So, yeah, I, again, I, I was a little confused, <laughs> to say the least. But I had a doctor that said, you know, a lot of times at this age, it'll just go away after a while. Um, if it gets more pronounced, then we'll, we'll operate so I went a whole another summer, um, and I think Christmas of my junior year, it would have been 2006, I went and saw him again, and I said, ah, I think it's getting larger. I think we might want to take a look at it. And um, he said I caught it just in time because if I waited any longer, it would have fused itself to the muscle tissue, wow. and they would have had to remove the entire pectoral muscle on my left side. So he said, you know, he explained how we were going to do the surgery and sort of make an incision into the the entire pectoral muscle just to be safe. And I said, listen, um, the part of what I do is such that I would ask that we could do this as cosmetically correct as possible mm-hmm. because of sort of the direction I want to go with my career. And he said, not a problem. And he did a wonderful surgery. And I think a couple of months after that, I was doing a production with a professional Shakespeare company in Cleveland and, uh, was asked to take off my shirt, and by that had had healed a couple months later, and got some some positive feedback from that. So I was lucky to get a, a brilliant doctor who knew exactly what he was doing, and not just a successful surgery, but a one that that allowed me to to continue what I was doing. So sure, it's it's remarkable because there is no scarring, or if there is, it's very little and very it's imperceptible. Very yeah, very minimal. That's something that uh, you know I'm not afraid to say. I think it's 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 something. I think if people, especially especially guys that that have either dealt with that or you know know somebody, it's very important that you know that, that it can be fixed and that. Uh, I mean, I've even read some blogs online. Some boys think that they're you know they're even less of a man or something. Sure. I mean, it really dig, dig, digs deep into there, and I know how that is. I mean, I was telling somebody the other, the other day that a lot of reason why guys initially go to the gym is so that they can sort of flex that masculinity in their own mind. I don't blame them. I mean, that was the thing. I spent high school, you know, in glasses and, and braces, and so there was got to be some kind of outlet where I can channel that, mm-hmm. you know, that he-man side. And um, <laughs> that might be my Wolverine complex, why I think Hugh Jackman is, is the man. <laughs> but anyway, um, so wonderful doctor, and and now it's definitely a part of, <laughs> Definitely a part of my profession, for better or for worse. <laughs> but I, I can imagine you must have been relieved to realize it wasn't cancer or you know a tumor. Or oh yeah, absolutely. I actually they sent me to uh, <laughs> they sent me to have a mammogram, and I remember waiting in the the lobby before the doctor came out, and I'm sitting there with all these you know these women, and they're wondering what <laughs> what are what you the doing hell are you here, doing? <laughs> or you know are you waiting on your mom, or you know what's going on here, and so I got taken back there and. As I was getting it done, the doctor said, you know, you're making a lot of women happy right now. And I was like, really? She said, yeah, because, you know, the, most of them um, <laughs> most of them are complaining and saying, well, you know, guys never have to get this done. Why do we have to get this done? And at first I was like, all right, we can not talk about this anymore. It's okay. But after a while I was like, you know what? It's cool. Whatever. I mean, how many, how many guys can say that and, you know, have it be, have it be for a good reason? And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – just a little known fact, a little piece of information. 
So what's on the horizon for, for David Gregory? What's coming down the pike? Well, right now, um, I'm anticipating the summer. I was, t- I was told by one of the directors the other day, they said, because, uh, you know, we get a lot of the younger viewers coming back during the summer sure, yeah. who, uh, who don't, uh, don't get to watch as much during the school year. So they said, be prepared to get busier, which I'm very excited about. Right now I'm averaging about two to three days a week, and the days are pretty, pretty heavy duty when I'm there. So I'm anticipating just, just digging a little deeper into the show, and I think the, the more frequently I go into work, the more comfortable I feel. Um, I definitely want to keep pursuing this direction because this is definitely exactly where I want to be in, in the, the television slash film world. Uh, my girlfriend is uh, she's going to graduate from the same musical theater program that I went through, and so she'll be moving to New York City. So it'll be exciting to not be in a long-distance relationship anymore. Fantastic. We finally reached the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. That's exciting. And uh, my, my brothers, uh, they're both in the Air National Guard, and they've sort of relocated out of Alaska to, to the rest of the you know, various places around the country. They get transferred a lot. But um, my older brother's now in Detroit, so uh, that's not too far away. I mean, when you live in Alaska, everything else is, is sort of in the, in the area. Like if, you know, my parents are making a trip to Detroit to see the grandkids this next week, and they're like, oh, since we're in the area, we might as well come over to New York and see how you're doing. <laughs> um, and that's just because Alaska is so far away, so everything else is, you know, in the same neck of the woods. So you know, it's very funny you say that because I'm a lifelong Texan, and it's, the, it's very much the same thing down here because Texas is so huge compared to the other states that – you know, it, it kind of distorts your idea of, of what what distance is. Absolutely. So that's the thing. I mean, I feel like, you know, nothing is not worth doing for your family, if that makes sense. So if, I mean, if there's a chance that I can hop on a plane and, you know, fly a couple hours, that's really nothing. It's really important to me because this is, you know, they've been behind me and they've always been supportive. And I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean serious support when I need it the most. And I'm, I'm not just talking about monetarily, you know, as a struggling actor, that's very important. But, uh, you know, there's, there's other ways, sometimes without even saying, that are just very important. And Absolutely. It's been, uh, I've been fortunate enough with, with this new job to, you know, be able to start paying off some student loans. And I think just, just the important thing of not having the, my parents to worry about as much of the financial burden that uh, sometimes training in this profession can be you know now they have an empty nest i've got two brothers that are married and uh it's exciting to to watch them be able to like spread their wings and travel and see their kids and and uh it's been good so i'm kind of anticipating just more of that i, I kind of miss since i haven't been up to alaska in a while i kind of miss uh just being able to do that i got a dog up there that i haven't seen in two years and Aww. he's you know that that family dog that uh <laughs> that has been around forever. And so, um, yeah, I'm just anticipating maybe uh, going back to my roots a little bit because that's definitely very important. Excellent. Well, I tell you what, it's been a great thrill speaking to you today. I, I so appreciate you giving me some of your time, and I'm glad we finally were able to, to hammer out a time to connect. Yeah, yeah, me too, Brandon. It's been fun. Before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Absolutely. I'd love to. As long as it includes the words David Gregory and Brandon's buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Hey, this is David Gregory from One Life to Live, and you are listening to the man, Brandon Buzz. Fantastic. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it. It was a great thrill, and you're welcome here anytime. Please come back. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'd love to.
the fantastic David Gregory, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for Tuesday, March 16th. 2010. Come on back next week. Great stuff in the pipeline, and you can find out all about it at two places. My blog, brandonsbuzz.com, and Mission Control for Brandon's Buzz, which is blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old episodes of the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. It really is home base for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. As I said, you can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. At the top of any page at brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. You click that button, that takes you to a full radio archive of all past episodes of this show. This is episode number 58. This and the previous 57 are all available at the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my Puzzle Piece logo. Uh, That'll take you to a page where you can... Uh, see all of my episodes, and you can either uh, uh, subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the store, or you can download individual old episodes as podcasts for playback on the device of your choosing. So I'm all over the Internet. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. Uh, And I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.